This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Welcome to Secrets of the Most Productive People, a podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder. I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor Pavitra Mohan. And I'm Fast Company Staff Editor Julia Herbst. And this week, we're talking about managing teams productively during a crisis. So we've talked a lot about productivity from an individual perspective. We're obviously all adapting to changing circumstances, but today we're going to look at productivity through a different lens. That's right. We're talking about best practices for leaders to manage teams remotely, especially as people try to figure out what our working lives will look like for the foreseeable future. So most of us are now well into the second month of social distancing. And I think, you know, many leaders and companies have had to act quickly as we've adapted to this new reality. But the longer this goes, the more we have to think about what things are going to look like in the future. In times of insecurity, we see how important it is for leaders to communicate clearly, to be honest with their teams and set clear expectations about what the future will look like. Right. And that's especially crucial as a lot of organizations are now remote. You know, there's a greater need for managers to support employees who might be grieving and and or struggling with caretaking responsibilities, all while trying to you know do their work within the confines of their home. In some cases, that might mean larger policy changes, right? Something like modifying sick leave or bereavement. Um, you know, Starbucks, for example, has offered catastrophe pay for workers who are affected by coronavirus and increased pay for hourly employees who are continuing to work. And some companies have actually announced that they won't be laying off employees due to the coronavirus. Bank of America and Morgan Stanley, for example, have both said that they won't be letting go of any employees through the end of the year. But in addition to these sorts of policy changes, you know, I think we're also interested in what effective leadership looks like when it comes to -to day-to-day logistics, right? So how productively managers are overseeing remote teams, how they're working to avoid miscommunication, and what language they're using that inspires, you know, teamwork in an unprecedented time. So we're going to talk to a leadership expert today about just that. We're talking to Eric Pliner, the CEO of YSC Consulting and an executive coach for Fortune 500 companies. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Pavitra. Yeah, I'd like to just dive right in here. I mean, what sort of COVID-19 specific questions or dilemmas are CEOs coming to you with right now? I think uh, a lot of CEOs are wondering how do they make the decisions that are right for right now, um, that protect the well-being of their people, that enable them to continue to run their businesses, but also that set them up for success in the future. It's a challenge in part because nobody knows what that future is going to look like just yet. And so the decisions that they're making are based largely on anticipating future, uh, future contexts that are really unclear. They don't have a reference point. And so they're thinking about how do they do the right thing as much as possible um, for as many people as possible over and over again. It means that they're having to make really fast decisions. It means that they're having to listen to a lot of different stakeholders who have different interests and sometimes competing interests. And it means that they have to corral a team of people who may have worked together well or may not have worked together well in a prior context, but absolutely need to work together right now. And would you say there are certain skills or traits that are especially important for leaders to kind of cultivate in this moment? They're probably not that different from the traits that we would say are important for leaders all the time, but they're brought into really sharp focus right now. CEOs and other C-suite leaders need to be really fantastic listeners. They have to be able to 
not just hear what their team members or stakeholders are saying, but take that data in, listen to the message underneath the message, and figure out exactly what the implications might be. That means that they have to process a lot of information very quickly, and they ultimately have to make decisions that keep in mind the values that they want the company to stand for, the performance that they want the company to achieve, and the well-being of all of their people. Again, those are sometimes competing interests, or they may seem that way on the surface. So the ability to make decisions quickly and to continue to drive forward, also to recover quickly if a decision doesn't work out exactly as they'd intended, are, are all absolutely critical skills right now. Yeah, you've talked a little bit about kind of decision making and, and having to make uh, quick decisions when things are changing very rapidly. Um, and then also, obviously, you have to do the part where you communicate, you know, to the shareholders, to your employees, what, what the game plan is. So I'd love to hear you talk just like a little bit about what types of language um, and styles of communication are most effective in this time period. What are you advising people? Yeah, it's a great question. The, uh, the opportunity is to think about how do they show the reality of the complexity of the decisions that they're making, the reality and the, of the complexity of the situations that we all find ourselves in without looking to, uh, to earn sympathy for themselves. Nobody really wants to hear the CEO who is laying people off or who is making decisions to shut down parts of the business tell them how hard it is on them. And so the notion of being humble and being vulnerable, of being human and being authentic is important, but there is a skill level attached to that authenticity that's absolutely critical. It doesn't mean being unfettered in their expression of emotion or of their vulnerability. It means being really thoughtful about how are they best able to demonstrate exactly the the complexity of their decision-making, the complexity of their choices, the humanity that they're considering both their own and other people's without looking for sympathy or support from others. It's a, it's a needle that has to be threaded over and over again. And it's one that I think a lot of CEOs need to look for help on. Um, running messages by other team members, engaging with a communications team if they have one, but thinking about how do they get the messages right for as many people as possible so that they don't disengage the very people that they need to influence. Yeah, that really seems like a missing part of this conversation. I mean, I feel like so often it just ends up being a thing where, um, you know, people are told to be vulnerable, to be honest, but that's, it's really one step further, you're saying. I think for a lot of CEOs, some, these are some of the hardest choices they've had to make in their lives. Um, contrary to, to what uh, broad views might look like of what CEOs are like, in fact, most of the CEOs that I work with are incredibly compassionate people, really deeply caring about their employees and not taking hard decisions lightly at all. But it means that they have to think about how do they reflect that humanity in a way that doesn't unintentionally undermine their message. And that means that everything we've heard about vulnerability and authenticity holds true, but it needs that added layer of being skillful in how they convey those messages. And, you know, another thing that's different about this period is a lot of managers um, are, are dealing with remote teams maybe for the first time, and they're trying to kind of stay connected to their employees um, as everyone is working in different places. And I think that can be difficult if it's not something you've had to do, you know, company-wide before. So how can they kind of strike a balance between, let's say, checking in too frequently and micromanaging? Um, you know, how do they navigate that right now while also doing some of what you just mentioned and making sure they're kind of communicating properly? 
This is where it's really important for leaders to create the conditions for a team to work together well. It's not just about what's the relationship of each team member to its leader, but what are the relationships of team members to each other. That means that there's a baseline that every leader should have about how frequently the total team checks in. And what I would say is that most of the CEOs that I've seen had their executive teams checking in daily in the beginning of this crisis to make sure that they were managing every critical detail of, uh, of, of what was going to happen in the first few weeks. Now, that degree of checking in is probably overkill. Um, and so thinking about what are the individual needs of team members, how can the, the CEO or leader meet those, but also how do the leaders on the team and the members of the team meet those needs for each other? That means really using your intuition to gauge the relative needs of different members, recognizing that some folks may be quite happy to, to be left on their own to do things more independently. Some folks may need a bit more emotional support, but also blending that with what's the total need of the team or the business. So some folks who are happy to be left on their own might actually risk doing things that fit their siloed functional agenda, but aren't necessarily in service of the total team agenda. That's part of the leader's job to be constantly evaluating evaluating and reevaluating the needs of the individual, the needs of the team, the needs of the total business, where possible, encouraging team members to provide that support to each other and making sure that they are stepping in whenever necessary based on the needs of the individual team member. Yeah. I mean, I think right now, I mean, obviously this isn't just as simple as everybody switching to remote work, right? We're in a period where people are also have a lot more caregiving responsibilities, whether that's for kids or other family members who are sick. So it's not really business as usual, just shifted to you know a remote context. Um, how can managers make sure that employees have what they need and you know allow them to feel comfortable sort of modifying their schedule or you know doing what they need to do? This is this is a spot where I think it's important to start off by reevaluating what do we actually mean by productivity and success. The challenge that I think a lot of organizations and leaders are facing is that they're continuing to measure productivity and performance, productivity and success based off of the standards from how things were before. And so we can't use the same measures that we were using in a different context to evaluate our effectiveness in this context. That means starting from the end point. What's the impact we're trying to drive and what are the outcomes that we need? And then how do we help our team members to drive the right inputs and outputs to derive that those outcomes and impact. Rather than just saying, do more, do more, do more, we'll get more by doing more. It's about helping people to think through how do you do the right stuff to get what we need in the new context rather than using the measuring stick of where we were before. That's a big shift. And in fact, it's one that I think a lot of organizations haven't made consciously yet. What they're still saying is we are at X performance, X percentage relative to last year. We're doing what we did differently from prior quarter. But in fact, we have to think about what is it that we need to be able to show for the next quarter or for next year, not just measuring against where we came from or else we're going to burn our people out really quickly and discover that the kind of productivity that we're expecting is unrealistic and unreasonable for a lot of organizations. Are there specific tools or pieces of advice that you've been giving people in making that kind of paradigm shift? Like what's been the most helpful there? 
Yeah. The first is to always start with the future. And that is really hard for a lot of folks because a lot of business is built on the notion of comparing to the past. How are we doing in the present? What did we do in the past? What's the delta between those versus where are we trying to get to in the future? And in fact, we have to flip that equation and start with where are we looking to end up and how does that guide our actions now? That doesn't mean that we throw away what we've learned from the past, or it doesn't mean we don't pay attention to what we're doing in the moment, but it means that we reorder the priority of those. Where does, do we want this business to be at the beginning of next year? Where do we want our team to be at the beginning of the next quarter? What's the shape of the team or the, the way of organizing leadership that's most likely to drive those outcomes? When we talk about the notion of leadership strategy, we're talking about how do you align the individual performance, the team dynamics, and the organizational culture that are most likely to drive successful achievement of the strategy. For that to work, that means you have to know what the strategy is and then know what individual ways of leading, what ways of interacting as a team, and what culture are going to drive that. And that means always starting with the future. Big change for a lot of us. So, you know, we're talking a lot about teams that are maybe working primarily remotely right now, but of course, not everybody has the luxury to work remotely. And I'm I'm curious if you have any advice for leaders of, let's say, frontline workers who are doing their jobs in really high stress environments or or people who are maybe um, having to kind of manage a team remotely that is still working in person, um, you know, as essential workers. Is there anything you'd um, recommend for people who are in that situation? Yeah. The first is to say that I think every team is working in a high stress situation right now. So even if folks are remote or at home, it's a different kind of stress. How it manifests is different, but starting to reconceptualize that team's work as being high stress work will help any leader regardless of the context. But you're asking specifically about folks who are still working in person, folks who are are in even higher stress, especially essential day-to-day environments. I would note um, before I before I go into this a bit, that I I don't consider myself an expert in in crisis management in a context like a hospital, so I wouldn't apply this there. But for instance, I spoke with a client the other day who is managing distribution to grocery stores, and that may seem like something that on its surface wouldn't be typically high stress, but in fact is the highest stress it's ever been in in these organizations' histories before. And so my thought is, number one, going back to where we started our conversation today, um, listen to the people on the front line, find out what they're telling you, but also pay attention to their energy levels. So just because they're still in person and we're used to working in person doesn't mean that eight hours today is the same as eight hours two months ago. It doesn't mean that people are able to manage their energy in the same way that they might have, in part because of the additional responsibilities at home, in part because of the pressure to perform using new metrics. And so it might mean that you look at how do we give people more space, more breaks. It's one of the things that I encourage for people who are working from home which is don't fill your day with back-to-back video calls just because you have more day now. You know, most people who used to commute aren't commuting anymore. And there is a temptation to give in to greater activity, which is not the same as greater productivity. The same is true for workers on the front line. It may seem like, well, they can do more. And in fact, we need them to do more because consumer demand is so high, because our B2B demand is so high. But in fact, it may mean looking at the way that they do things like job share or responsibility share, the way that they do part-time scheduling, the way that they gather feedback from frontline employees uh, regularly to understand 
understand, are we creating the conditions for people to execute as successfully as possible, not filling the days as much as possible? Not the same thing. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like what you're talking about is kind of setting people up for, you know, more long-term sustainable success, um, which I think is a really hard way to think when you're in the midst of a crisis. You know, the temptation is just to act in the moment and, and do what needs to be done to get through the day. But I'm curious, you know, as a leader in this kind of situation, what are some of the things that you can be doing to think long-term um, about, you know, when this passes, how you're going to be promoting retention, elevating company culture, and kind of thinking beyond the just immediate crisis. Yeah. Well, I think for better or for worse, I think you have to do both right now. And you have to do both at all times. And so interestingly, I think a lot of the leaders that I've encountered have found their teams performing really well in the first few weeks of this crisis. And in fact, it makes sense. The teams have a clear sense of purpose. They have a clear task that they need to complete. There's urgency. There are clear roles. All of the things that we would typically say give a team uh, the ability to be high performing in the long run show up often when you are in an emergency. Everybody knows what the formation is that we need to follow when we're going up the stairs to put out the fire. The thing that we have to remember is, unless our plan is to completely tear down the burned out building, we also have to make sure that what we're not doing is creating further destruction that will make it harder to rebuild later. And so that means absolutely manage the crisis with that sense of urgency, keep the team focused on their roles, but also think about what do we need to build when we're on the other side. That means in your communication to employees, in the decisions that you make, in the ways that you're interacting with customers and clients, are you conveying the kind of company that you hope to be in the future? One of the spots we've seen this quite a bit is in the space of inclusive leadership and diversity. A lot of companies that have been really explicit about having strong values for inclusive leadership and diversity have very quickly and unintentionally, I think, walked away from those agendas in service of saying, but we just have to manage through the crisis. But when we get to the other side of that, our employees are going to look at us and say, when the chips were down, who were we? What were we about? And is this a place I want to continue to be a part of? It's easy to keep employees engaged right now because everybody's grateful to have a job. But thinking about who we want to be in the future and the choices that we make right now, um, how those will influence that future is absolutely essential. Leaders can't ignore that. So one of the practical tips is if you're having a team meeting, to think about actually assigning a member of the team to be your accountability holder for the future, to say, as we, have, as we make decisions, as we make choices, as we determine our way forward, let's stop after each one of those and our accountability holder just check, us, check in with us to say, did we do what's right for where we want to be a year from now, not just what's right for where we want to be a week from now. And with all of that said, if we don't survive a week from now, it doesn't matter where we want to be a, week, a year from now. And so we've got to make sure we get both of those things right at all times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it sounds like on the whole people you're kind of recommending that companies really think about adjusting to this new reality and not as a temporary thing, but, but thinking about what it's going to mean down the road. And it means there's no textbook. You can't go and look and see what other companies have done in the past. There are certainly examples of companies that have survived individual crises by using ethical decision-making or a specific kind of authentic leadership. But they've never been in a context where everyone was going through the same thing at the same time. In fact, no one in the world has. Even when entire nations, entire markets, whole continents have gone through crises, we've never been in a situation where a crisis of this magnitude has affected every market, every industry 
in some way simultaneously. Even our clients that are thriving right now because their services, their products are in tremendous demand are experiencing a kind of stress that's unprecedented for them. And so that means everybody has to think about what do we want to be on the other side of this if we're going to make it through this period successfully and be able to be a new company on the other side. I've heard the the cliched phrase, never waste a good crisis more times than I'd like to count in the past few weeks. But there's a reason it's a cliche, which is to say, what does what's going on right now tell you about the state of your business, the alignment between your strategy and your execution and your ability to deliver for the future? Also, th- this may seem uh, counterintuitive, but it's a really important time for leaders to be thinking about succession. Who could step into their roles, one, in an emergency, um, who could step into their roles, two, a year from now, and three, who do they want to develop to be able to step into their roles three years or more from now? That, the reason I say it may seem counterintuitive is the notion of focusing on people's development at a time that we are still in a live crisis um, may seem like misplaced energy. But in fact, the ability to get those leaders to do more right now uh, and also to track them towards what they can do for the company of the future is absolutely essential. You, you hear me talking about the future so much because I think it is really easy to get lost in the present. Um, and in fact, we're not, going ba- we're, we're not going back to the old way. I think that's, that's well accepted. And we're not even talking about what our new normal is. We're in a new normal right now. We're talking about creating a next normal that doesn't exist yet. And what will it look like? Uh, for us to be able to have the right leaders to operate in that next normal is essential. The timelines for even ensuring that they're ready are probably really different than they were before. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric. Thank you both for having me. This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Now it's time for one of our recurring segments. So hit pause and get your pen ready because you might want to write this down. Here are three ways to manage a team productively in a time of crisis. Number one, use collaborative language. When sharing information about company-wide practices, such as a new remote work plan or sick leave policy, use statements that are unifying. Opt for we rather than using I statements and incorporate phrases like all of us are together. This language emphasizes the importance of teamwork in overcoming challenges. Number two, prioritize communication before a problem arises. One of the biggest challenges in remote work is making sure your team is as clearly aligned as it was when you were all in the same place. Combat this by checking in more regularly with all members of your team and proactively sharing information about where employees can access resources. Make it clear that everyone should speak up about what they need and that you will reply promptly to their requests. Number three, be empathetic. During challenging times, it can be easy to focus on the bottom line and on maximizing productivity. But the truth is you can't succeed in the long term without supporting team members and acknowledging that these aren't normal times. Recognize that people are dealing with sick loved ones, financial uncertainty, and additional caretaking responsibilities. Being respectful of working hours and showing employees you appreciate their work through small gestures can go a long way. That's all for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Secrets of the Most Productive People wherever you listen. 
So what questions do you have about staying sane or productive during this weird and crazy time? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 201-371-FAST. That's 201-371-3278. And we'll find an expert to answer your question. Or you can tweet your question with the hashtag FCMostProductive. If this episode was helpful, please let us know. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Joshua Christensen. 